So, this morning, we're going to continue our look at John's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 23. If you want to flip your Bibles there, or if you're one of the new folks that doesn't have a paper Bible, you can open the app and tap your way there. That's okay, it's not blasphemous. While you're working your way there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been, have you ever gone to the doctor's office with an ailment and the answer that you get from the doctor is, huh, never seen that before? That's not good, is it? That's, that's not what you want to hear when you go to the professionals and ask them for help. You take your car into the garage because it's making that annoying sound until you get to the garage. Happens every time. When we need assistance, we go to people who are experts in their field. Yeah, I'm not going to go to a professional cook if I have problems with the cabinets in my kitchen, I'll go to a carpenter instead. If I have an issue with my air conditioning unit, I'm not going to call a plumber. I'm going to call my AC guy. Now, when we have questions about spiritual things, we ought to go to Sources that are knowledgeable and reputable, yes. Like our Bible. That should be the first stop, right? Help me out here. <laughs> You're not instilling a great deal of confidence. Yes, the Bible should be the first stop if we have spiritual questions. Um, maybe uh, commentaries. Uh, even if you have a study Bible, how many of you have a study Bible? Right? In your study Bible, there is probably a commentary of sorts on the pages with the text that you can use for some extra help. You speak with other mature Christians, mature Christians. Seek out time to speak to the pastor. This is always the way we ought to do things. This is always the track we should go down. We should always seek those who are experts in their field. Seeking the guidance of those who have gained a level of wisdom or expertise in spiritual matters is normal. Who did the first century Jews go to? The rabbis. Very good. The priests and the Levites were experts in the Levitical code, the ceremonies and the sacrifices. The rabbis were the experts in the law. They knew what the book said. They knew the commands of God inside and out. 
and then some. Right? Remember, and I know Danny has said it before, but I really want you guys to understand, the Pharisees never started out by saying, we're going to lead people astray. They were a group of people that they were called the pure ones. They were the experts in the law. They wanted to help people after the time of the exile. They wanted to help people remain spiritually pure. Most of the rabbis in Jerusalem, most, at least the ones that we know about, were of the party of the Pharisees because they were the scripture experts. And in Palestine, in the first century, it was an occupied territory. So the government was Roman, but the ruling council, the religious ruling council, was called the Sanhedrin. And it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. A lot of the priests and the Levites were of the party of the Sadducees. And most of the rabbis were of the party of the Pharisees. Think of it kind of like the uh, U.S. Senate. And this morning, we're going to be looking at this talk between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was an expert in the law. That's really important. He was supposed to be the guy who knew what God's Word said. Now, there's one more thing I would ask of you before we actually turn to God's Word. And I know this is a long introduction. How many of you have read John chapter 3 before? Raise your hand. You've read John chapter 3. You've heard this story before. Raise your hand. Okay, so it's familiar territory to us, right? So, sadly, when we hear a passage that's familiar to us, when we know that's what we're going to be listening to, we have a human tendency to put our brains in neutral because this is old news. I don't need to listen anymore. What is Bill going to tell me that's different from anything I've ever heard? If you've ever heard me preach, there's definitely going to be stuff that's different than anything you've ever heard before. I want to challenge you to listen, to read, and be prepared for what God has to show you. I'm going to tell you, I've spent the last month working on this sermon. And when I started, I got to this passage, and you know I do passage, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. That's how I preach. I just go straight through. And I got to this passage, and I went, piece of cake. I know right where we're going. And after the second time I sat down at the keyboard and couldn't go the direction that I thought I was going, I said, oh, okay, God, where, 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 where are we going? And we took a turn that I didn't expect. So I hope that you will hear the message that God has for us today. Now, we're ready to turn to God's Word. If you would, as is our custom, please stand. And why do we stand when we read God's Word? Because it's God's Word. It's not Bill's Word. 
We're going to start in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would change our hearts. Father, shake us from our complacency, shake us from our comfort, and give us that desire, that that drive to be obedient to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem for Passover. Passover is a big deal. And John tells us that many people believed in who Jesus was because of the signs that he had done. So in John's gospel, if we just go strictly by the chronology chronology of John's gospel, how many signs had Jesus done at this point? One. He turned water into wine. So it's obvious that he's done more than just this. It's not suddenly that the people believed that there was a guy named Jesus who was doing these things. John says they believed in his name. That's not what he means. They did not suddenly, oh, Jesus isn't a fairy tale. There's this guy walking around turning water into wine. No. People heard about what Jesus was doing and they believed his reputation. They believed the stories they were hearing about him. They believed that there was something to him. John's statement that Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, that's John the Baptist. Remember when he said that? When he was baptizing people in the Jordan River and Jesus walked by? That has percolated throughout Jerusalem. That has has made its way through and people are talking and they're putting together this Jesus guy who's doing things 
that that hairy fella that was out at the the Jordan River with all the bug bits stuck in his beard and honey crusted in there, wearing a, a camel hair coat, he said that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's something special about this Jesus. There were undoubtedly people like the man who had been born blind that Jesus had touched, the cleansed lepers, the lame, the sick, and others that Jesus had touched who were telling the story, even though in many of those cases when Jesus healed them, what did he say? Don't tell anybody. Okay, if I was born blind... And all of a sudden, this strange man walked up, spit in the dirt, rubbed mud on my eyeballs, and I could see. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, that'll happen. Right? I'm going to tell everyone what happened. So, people are starting to pick up that there's something special about this Jesus guy. And then John, in verse 24, he uses that... That, that three-letter conjunction that I am so fond of. We call it the holy however. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus did not tell people who he was. Why? Because he knew what their reaction would be. And I really hate saying this. I, I really, I, I'm, this is not a part where I'm trying to step on anybody's toes. But we human beings have a, a, a big superstition problem, right? Have you ever noticed? We live in the South. There is a superstition problem. I have met some of the most devout Christians who will say something and then scour for a piece of wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> right? There, we are a superstitious people. And Jesus did not proclaim his deity to the people because he knew what their response would be. And their response would not be glory to God in the highest. Their response would be, Jesus, come here so that somebody can touch your foot and be healed. Jesus, come here so that when I scratch off this lottery ticket, I win. Our propensity towards things that we don't understand is to treat them as a talisman of good luck. Jesus knew that the belief that people had was superficial, superstitious, and surface level at best. They would try to use him as a lucky rabbit's foot. They would worship the miracle, not the God who loved them enough to send his son. He knew the depravity of man. I love that John says he didn't need anybody to witness. Remember, Jesus was born fully human. He is a human being. He's 30-ish years old at this point in time. How long does it take a person to realize how cynical and how jaded and how cruel and how superstitious people are in this world? I mean, it, it takes less and less and less time. 
I remember when I was a kid, it was probably into my mid-twenties before I figured that out. Right? I think Warren was like 12. And it's because of the information that we have at our fingertips, right? It takes like five minutes on Facebook before you realize people are terrible. Jesus didn't need divine revelation to know what was in man. It's evident. So this leads us up to the encounter with Nicodemus. And I have... (laughs) Going through seminary, I remember going in and reading a commentary on this, and there was like an entire page on... There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews... This man came to Jesus by night. Half a page. Came to Jesus by night. What does it mean? What is the importance? How many of you have ever been in the Middle East? Anybody? There's a few. Okay. John, what's the temperature like during the daytime in the Middle East? Okay, why did he meet Jesus at night? Because it's hot. Yes, 140 degrees, Cheryl. If you want to know what that's like, go get the best hair dryer you can find. Plug it into a really long extension cord. Hold it in front of your face, blowing at you. And then turn it on high and walk around like that all day. That's what it's like. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, probably because it was hot. Maybe because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see him. Maybe because that's the normal time that business was transacted during the evening hours because it was hot. It's not important. We don't know why he met with Jesus at night, and it really doesn't matter. What matters is, What Jesus says to, I'm sorry, what Nicodemus says to Jesus by way of a greeting. When we think of the Pharisees, we think of people who hated Jesus. We think of people who were just, they despised him, diametrically opposed his arch enemies. And Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God because of the things that you do. And you couldn't do those things unless God was with you. That's a really complimentary greeting. First, he recognizes Jesus as a teacher. He says, Rabbi. Now, I use the word teacher. And I'm not putting teachers down, but we use the word teacher in the United States a whole lot different than the word rabbi. Okay? We don't use teacher as respectfully as we ought to in the United States. But rabbi is somebody who is a spiritual teacher of the law of Moses. The, the law, this is a law school professor combined with a seminary professor. This is somebody who has spent all of their life digging into and understanding what God's word means. And Nicodemus looks at this younger man. Nicodemus is probably in his late 50s, early 60s. He looks at Jesus, who's 30 years old, and says, Rabbi, that's huge. And then, 
Think about who Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. To call Jesus rabbi, that takes it a step even further. And then he says, we know that you're sent from God. That just, that took the roof off. That is a huge, huge statement of recognition of who Jesus was. Essentially what Jesus, uh, what Nicodemus said was that he and at least some of the other Pharisees recognized the legitimacy of Jesus' teaching and they were welcoming him into their circle of scholarship. That's a big deal. But, you know, we've got the the fact that the Pharisees were so much against Jesus in our minds, right? And then you've got this introduction here. They kind of seem at odds with one another, don't they? Can anybody tell me what the purpose of miraculous times and miraculous signs were in the New Testament? Except Danny. (laughs) No fair waiting for the guy with the theology degree. Can't do that. Signs were used to substantiate what was being taught. They were essentially the, the prophet or the teacher's stamp of approval from God. It was God saying, I am God and I approve this message, right? For the Jews, that's how they knew that the prophet was a real prophet. And so Nicodemus was really demonstrating his position as a teacher of the Jews. We recognize the legitimacy of your message. Now you would think that for a young guy like Jesus to be recognized like that by Nicodemus, Jesus would say, thanks. But he doesn't. (laughs) He brushes right past it. He doesn't even acknowledge that greeting. Now, that seems a little rude. Unless you take into account verse 24 of chapter 2 that we already looked at. Jesus knew all people. Just because they recognized the legitimacy of Jesus' teaching because of the miracles that he did does not mean that they recognized Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Does not mean they recognized his ministry to come and take away the sins of the world. He knew the heart of man. He knew exactly what Nicodemus needed to hear. And it wasn't, hey, thanks for recognizing my legitimacy. How many times in this passage did we read the words truly, truly? Anybody count? There were at least three different instances of truly, truly. In the Greek, that is uh, amen, amen. 
truth, truth. The old King James, verily, verily. The modern English equivalent, listen very carefully and pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Pay close attention. This will be on the test. As a former Air Force instructor, this is what we would call the foot stomp, kick the podium, I'm giving you the answer to something that is on the test moment. Jesus was, that's, (laughs) Bob's laughing, (laughs) because you've been there, right? So listen, students, I'm not going to tell you that this might be on the test. I'm not going to tell you that you need to write this down. You might want to write this down. And then, mic drop. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's easy enough. Piece of cake. How could Nicodemus not understand that? (laughs) Now, we pick on Nicodemus, right? We look down at Nicodemus because he's a Pharisee. Obviously, he didn't get it. No, he's a smart man. Why didn't he get it? Because it's a hard concept. I'm with Nicodemus. His answer is perfectly legitimate. How? <laughs> That's what he says. How? Let's see if we can we can make sense of this and see where Nicodemus got lost. So Jesus said, unless a person. So a person makes this universal, right? It's what we call a universal condition. And then it says, unless a person is born again. That can also be translated as born from above. The Greek word can go either way. They cannot perceive... God's kingdom, heaven, the place of eternal rest. One of the most astonishing things about Jesus' ministry was his teaching about God's kingdom. For the Jews, Jesus' teaching was weird. It was not what they were accustomed to because they were the children of Abraham. They were the descendants of the chosen one. They were guaranteed the promised land. Obviously, they're going to make it into God's kingdom. But that's not what Jesus taught. They had God's words. They had the scriptures. They had the the Torah. They had the law. They had the ceremonies. They had the temple. They had all of those things. They kept the law most of the time. And most of the law, at least in form, if not in function, maybe half the time. Of course they would be included in God's kingdom. How could they not be in God's kingdom? And now Jesus says that if a person's going to even see God's kingdom, they have to be born again which Nicodemus is still trying to wrap his head around. 
Nicodemus is thinking, okay, I know how children are born. How is born again? The math ain't working out, Jesus. I just gave you a compliment. I just recognized your legitimacy. And now you're telling me that in order to be able to see God's kingdom, I have to be born again. Hmm, explain. Who has the ability to be born again? Is a person supposed to be able to be birthed by their mother when they are old? Okay, mothers. <laughs> okay, mothers. If that were the way it would work, how many of you would sign up? Yeah, not just no, right? That is a hard pass. There is no way. Now, in our ears, that's, Nicodemus' response kind of sounds a little bit crass, a little bit insulting, a little bit crude. But he's really asking a legitimate question. And instead of responding directly to that question, Jesus ups the ups the ante just a little bit. And he says, listen closely. Unless a person is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Oh, well, that clears things right up. How did I not understand? This is one of those areas that a lot of people get into debates about. It is the, it is the uh, uh, prerogative of the theologian to debate the, debate the finer points of theology, right? If you, if you were to go, well, Lifeway doesn't exist brick and mortar anymore. But back when it did, if you were to go to a Lifeway and grab six different commentaries on the book of John and, and go to this passage about being born of water and the Spirit, you would probably find six different understandings. Because people don't understand what it means. There's a lot of different theories. Um, now, the Spirit part's easy, relatively speaking. At least for the New Testament church, we know that the Holy Spirit is involved in the process of us being born again. And that goes back to that Greek in the, the first part where a person being born again can be translated born from above. That's, that, that kind of makes sense. What does Jesus mean born of water? There's one sense where people look at it and they say, well, you know, the, the amniotic sac when a child is born, right? Every husband's dread when they have that child coming is the phone call, my water broke. Right? Then you've got the ignorant husband who says, call a plumber. I'm just checking to see if y'all are alive. <laughs> that's one understanding. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Because why would, why would he say, unless one is born of water? So who is born, uh, who is conceived and carried in an amniotic sac? 
everybody. Why would Jesus be talking about a universal truth of humanity and say that's a prerequisite for entering the kingdom of God? I just don't quite get that. Now, I, I, I do think that a person needs to exist, but I just don't think that's what Jesus meant. The, the, another commonly accepted understanding is that Jesus is talking about baptism. Since we're Baptists, that makes sense, right? Except Jesus' words to the thief on the cross kind of shoot that one in the foot. Because nobody took the thief off the cross before he died and dunked him into that of water before he died and hung him back up so that he could be with Jesus in heaven. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. There was no opportunity for this man to be baptized. And there was no reason for Nicodemus to understand water in that way. Baptism was very different for first century Israel than it is for us. Baptism had specific functions, specific purposes. Baptism was a purification rite. When a priest would be getting ready to serve in the temple, they would be baptized, they would bathe. When a woman came out of the period after childbirth, she would bathe, she would be baptized. When a Gentile was converting to Judaism, they would be purified, they would bathe, they would be baptized. That's why it caused such a ruckus when John the Baptist shows up outside of Jerusalem, standing at the edge of the Jordan River and says, listen, if you're from Israel, you need to repent and be baptized. The Pharisees went out to John and they were like, hey, um, where are the people of Israel? What's the big idea? We need to convert? We need to be purified? Are you out of your mind? Why? See, that's what baptism would have meant to Nicodemus. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Not exactly. Not exactly. To a degree. See, in the Old Testament, the prophets connected uh, water with the Spirit of God. Ezekiel said that God's people needed to be purified, washed clean. Just like John said. See, when we think that Jesus meant baptism, we in 21st century American Christianity and other Western believers, we tend to think baptism. The tank behind the wall. Or, if you're Methodist, maybe the, 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 the fountain where you pour the water, right? We tend to think baptism in that way as a symbol. There has to be, you have to be obedient in that act. But if that's the case, then anybody who dies without being baptized, they don't have entry into heaven. But see, the way Ezekiel was talking about it, that we need to be 
born of water, we need to be purified and cleansed and have our sins washed away. Like John was saying, we need to repent and be baptized. We need to repent and be cleansed. I think that's closer to what Jesus was talking about. And as surprising as it was for Nicodemus to consider being born again, I think that was probably even more shocking to him. It would have been almost as unthinkable because Israel was God's chosen people. Again, Nicodemus has probably got 30 years on Jesus. 30 years of life. How dare this young man come in here after I just told him that I recognize that he's a legitimate teacher sent from God and he's going to tell me that nobody in Israel is going to see the kingdom of God. They're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of God unless they're purified from their sins. What sins? I really wish we had the ability to go back in time and see things when they happen. Because I have to imagine the expression on Nicodemus' face went from surprise to incredulity to indignation (laughs) and maybe to outright anger. Because I think that's what caused Jesus to continue. Because he said, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus' eyebrows must have been up past his hairline. Assuming he had a hairline. (laughs) Don't be surprised that I told you this. Why are you surprised that I told you this? Now we talked a lot about that water. But the idea of rebirth at the hands of the Holy Spirit had to be just about as hard for Nicodemus to comprehend. In the Old Testament, who was promised the Holy Spirit? It's a trick question. The answer is nobody. God sent His Spirit for specific purposes, specific reasons to specific people at specific time. And then if you remember Saul, the first king, God sent His Spirit on Saul and then took it away. There was no promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There was no promise that God was going to send His Spirit at a specific time, in a specific place, to a specific people. And Jesus said, you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. Who who, who can hope to direct God to send His Spirit someplace? Do we have that ability? I can't, I can't make God send His Spirit. The Spirit goes when and where God 
wills it. How can anyone hope to be born by the Spirit? What can I do to be born by the Spirit? Let me ask you something. What does a baby do to be born by their mother? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus just told Nicodemus, your heritage, your parentage, your residency, your credentials don't mean anything. And then, of course, Jesus says, you can see where the wind blows. You can see the leaves rustle. You can see the dust blowing across the parking lot. You can you know, see the, wind, uh, the rain when it stops going up and down and it starts going sideways. You can see the effect of the wind. But even with our most modern scientific advances, we cannot predict wind currents. All we can do is measure them. That's, that's, we live on the Gulf Coast. That's why we have a cone of uncertainty. It's because even with all of our knowledge and all of our science, we cannot predict where wind goes. We can't predict where the Holy Spirit goes. Man has no chance of knowing who will be born of the Spirit. I do not have the ability, I really wish I did, but I cannot look at a person and say, that person's going to be a Christian. And that person won't be. So it would save us a lot of time, wouldn't it? If we knew who we had to share the gospel with? Come on now, I'm being a pragmatic human being. Don't tell me you haven't thought about this. It would make it a lot easier to evangelize people if they had some means of telling us whether they were going to accept it or not. What is the biggest reason people give for not sharing the gospel? Fear of rejection. Well, if I know that the person is going to accept, that makes it a whole lot easier to not have that as an excuse, doesn't it? I didn't say I wouldn't come up with other ones. So we only have one choice. That's to share the gospel with everybody. So Nicodemus finally regains his ability to speak. And, and he repeats himself. How can these things be? <laughs> He's stuck. I don't get it. Jesus, I don't understand. We are God's chosen people, but you're saying that even we can't enter the promised kingdom unless we are born of the Spirit. How is this? How? Here's the application. Here's where we can wind up being Nicodemus. He's the expert. He had access to the Scriptures. He was an expert in the law. He was the teacher of Israel, but he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And that's what, that's what Jesus says. Verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Don't be mistaken. Jesus was criticizing Nicodemus. How do you not understand what God's word says? 
and yet you claim to be a teacher of the people. This was a personal indictment against Nicodemus and something he should have been very ashamed of. How could he be a leader of the people? How could he be a member of the Sanhedrin, a most respected Pharisee, and not understand the things that the Scriptures said about Jesus? You ready? How much more should we, as the church, understand these things? Not only do we have the benefit of living in the church era with all of the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, we also have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At the time of salvation, the Holy Spirit lives within us to help us understand the Scriptures. How many of you have one copy of the Bible? Raise your hand if you own one copy of the Bible. Come on, raise your hand. One copy. How many of you have more than one? Two? Three, ten. <laughs> yeah, we could keep this up all day. <laughs> How many of you have an internet connection? Then you have more access than at any other time in human history to the riches of God's Word. You have commentaries, you have devotionals, you have study Bibles, you have study tools, you have podcasts after podcast after podcast where pastors and teachers will teach you the Word of God on an hourly, daily, weekly basis all over the place. Nicodemus had to spend his 60 years in a room with a candle reading handwritten text scroll by scroll to know God's Word. We, at the beginning of the message, I had you all turn your pages. Right? Where did we start this morning? John chapter 2, verse 23 Nicodemus didn't have John chapter 2. He didn't have Ezekiel chapter 2. That chapter number wasn't in there. And he couldn't go by page numbers because the handwriting might have been a different size on the scroll that he had versus the one that he learned from. We have all of these things. Do we understand that a person must be born again, born from above, born of water and the Spirit, before they can enter the kingdom of God? I see the look on your faces. Most of you have been in church for a long period of time. I'm not talking about today. It's only just now noon. Many of you have been in church for longer than I'm al I've been alive. The look on your faces says, of course we believe these things. We understand that a person must be born again. So here's my challenge to you. Prove it. Ouch. That got personal. Look at how Jesus puts it to Nicodemus. i, I, I got to wrap this up. But look at how Jesus puts it to Nicodemus. 
We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive it. If I tell you of earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus said, we recognize you're a teacher sent from God. Jesus said, yeah, exactly. No one has seen the Father except the Son who came down from heaven. That's me. But you won't receive what I'm telling you. You can't believe what I'm telling you. You don't understand what I'm telling you. How can you be the teacher? As the church, as the people who've been born from above with the indwelling of the Spirit, we can now say that we've seen what Jesus has seen. No, I have not seen the Father face to face. Because, you know... There's that whole sinful flesh thing. If I see him face to face, I will be burned to a cinder. I think of Isaiah when he had his vision, when he realized that he was looking upon God and his majesty and his glory. What was his response? Uh oh. I am undone. I am about to become a little flick of ash floating through the temple. Because I have seen the Holy One and I am unholy. But I have seen the goodness of God in my life. I have seen salvation come to people. I have seen what Jesus can do in a person's life. I've seen the things that Jesus is talking about. Jesus sets the template for us. We need to share with people the things that we know and we need to bear witness the things that we have seen. We need to tell the people the truth about who Jesus is. FYI, I am not using the imperial we. You know what the imperial we is, right? It's like when the queen or the king says, we intend to do something. I'm not using the imperial we. I am using the first person plural, we. That's us. That is every person who is in here. It is not just Danny and me with our degrees in theology. It is not just the Sunday school teachers. It is not just Betty and Deidre and Nellie and Steph and Cheryl and Don. It's not just those of us that teach in Awana. It's not just the people who have stepped up and said... I volunteer to be a leader. It's all of us. If you have the indwelling of the Spirit, if you have tasted salvation and know that it is good, you have a responsibility to your fellow man to share that with him. We need to tell people the truth about their need for salvation. Nobody wants to hear that they're going to hell. I don't know a single person in this world who is happy to hear. Legitimately, there's people that joke about it all the time. But that's because they don't believe in how real hell is. Okay? And a lot of people, I'm probably going to go someplace where y'all aren't real comfortable with. A lot of people say, well, you know, hell is the absence of God. 
The people in hell would love for just one minute for hell to be absent from God. Because in hell is God's full wrath. So no, hell is not the absence from God. It's the absence from His love. It's the absence from His mercy. It's the absence from His kindness. It's the absence from His grace. But it is the full presence of His justice. Every sin committed will be paid for. It is the presence of His wrath, His anger, His holiness. Jesus said that the the two greatest commandments, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every fiber of your being, love God. What did He say the second one was? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, which one of you would sign up to go to hell? Then if you love your neighbor as yourself, why don't you tell them how they can avoid that? Peter tells us that we need to live in such a way and and always have an answer for the hope that is within us. Why would somebody ask me about the hope that's within me if I live like the rest of the world? I need to live in such a way that people have the motivation to ask me about my hope and my joy and my peace. If they don't believe, they don't understand, that just shows they haven't been born from above. They haven't been born of the Holy Spirit. So that means we just quit, right? No. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many meals do you skip a week? Anybody? I didn't think so. I know most of you in here. And I'm relatively certain we don't have people that do that whole weirdo intermittent fasting thing. If we feed ourselves, we have to feed our neighbor. we feed ourselves, that's a big if, we have to feed our neighbor. So I'm not going to go into verses, uh, uh, verse 14 to 15. That'll be for next time. Everybody's looking at their calendars. Danny said once a quarter, so. But I'll give you a little hint. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Every one of us who bears the name of Christ is responsible for lifting him up, for sharing the truth of the gospel with the world around us. Every last one of us.